This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com slash dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Abasa wa tawalla Anjaahu al-a'ma وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّى أَوْ يَذَّكَّرُ فَتَنْفَعَهُ الذِّكْرَى أَمَّا مَنِ اسْتَغْنَى فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّى وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّى وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وهو يخشى فأنت عنه تلهى كلا إنها تذكره فمن شاء ذكره في صحف مكرمة مرفوعة مطهرة بأيدي سفرة كرام برره رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيد الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته الى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين ثم اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته ان شاء الله تعالى before we discuss an introduction to surah abasa and its themes uh, just a continuation of our tradition of introducing or connecting the conclusion of one surah to the in- with the introduction to the next in the previous surah surah al-nazi'at we found two contrasting kinds of people that Allah mentions towards the end. On the one hand, فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا As for the one who rebelled and gave preference to worldly life. So that was on the one hand. On the other hand, Allah says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى And as for the one who feared standing before their Lord and prevented their own self as though it's something outside of themselves from you know, vain or pathetic or empty desire. In this, from the very beginning, we find two groups also. On the one hand, Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about أَمَّا مَنِ اسْتَغْنَى As for the one who doesn't care. And who is the one who doesn't care? الَّذِي تَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا The one who was mentioned in the previous surah. Towards the end, the one who rebels and gives preference to worldly life. On the other hand here, وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى And as for the one who comes to you running and he is fearful, this is the one that Allah mentioned in the previous surah towards the end when he said, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى As for the one who fears standing before his Lord. So the two contrasting groups, the believer and disbeliever, certain traits mentioned towards the end of a naziat and we begin with a new, fresh look at these two kinds of contrasts in Surah Abasa. Now inshallah ta'ala, as one of the most important and famous themes of Surah Abasa, the beginning passage of this surah, there's a lot more to the surah than this, but it's very famous. And it's also uh, sometimes not spoken about properly. 
Before we inshallah get into the dars of this surah, one of the very sensitive things we should be careful about is how we speak about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is a very sensitive matter. So much so that in uh, Madani Qur'an, when Allah Azza wa Jal was teaching the Sahaba mannerisms, and a lot of the Bedouins, they didn't know any better, when he was teaching the mannerisms, if they would so much as speak to the Messenger wasallam too casually, not even insulting him, just talking to him too casually, ayat would come down threatening them to take, to take a step back. So for example, you have Surah Al-Hujurat, where you know, the Bedouin comes outside, a bunch of them, and say, Ya Muhammad, ukhruj alayna. Right, Muhammad, come out, we got to talk to you. They come right outside his apartment, and you know, this is, they were kind of rough, and they weren't very civilized or city people, you could think of them, right? They were kind of rough around the edges. So they brought that with them to Islam, and they spoke to the Messenger وسلم, in kind of a harsh tone, which wasn't harsh to them. Keep in mind, that's just how they talked, right? And when Allah Azza wa saw this, He gave them a warning. He said, وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ بَعْضًا don't you call him, don't you, you know, raise your voice at him and call him like you call each other. He's not the same, it's not the same. And And if you do this, all of your good deeds may be seized and you won't have, you won't have any idea. You won't even realize. He, in the same surah, he threatens, You better know that in your midst, especially in your midst, meaning the Sahaba, the companions, is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then in that same ayah where he mentions that you have to be, when, where, uh, you know, be careful with the Messenger Sallallahu in that same ayah he says, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ That no doubt it is Allah who has made Iman beloved to you and beautified it in your hearts. So it began with regard for the Messenger and then it concludes towards a beautification of Iman in our hearts. There's no Iman of Allah, of Allah mentioned. There's no Iman in the angels mentioned. There's no Iman in the books mentioned. What Iman is mentioned? Rather not even Iman, regard, honor. Sensitivity in, in how we address or speak of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam This is an important consideration Because in our times you have two kinds of extremes On the one hand you have people that almost have no respect Even Muslims have no respect in how they talk about the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And this can occur when you talk casually about the Sunnah of, his, of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Right, oh it's just a Hadith Or you know it's not in the Quran Or, or his job was just to deliver the message and he did so We don't have to take every little thing he did, etc, etc you know, we have to be very careful when we talk about these kinds of things. I'm not saying that intellectual discourse cannot exist. But when it exists, there have to be very, very serious and very sensitive parameters. A very careful speech has to take place. Now, on the other hand, you have Muslims even, who consider themselves Muslims, who have so much love and so much regard for the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that they go as far as almost committing shirk with him, sometimes explicitly, Sometimes explicit, out of love and regard, nothing, it's not bad intentions, it's out of love and regard. And on the other hand, when it comes to certain ayat which appear to be critical of the Messenger, وسلم, they, they reinterpret them to mean something, something that isn't true in the language. Now the thing is, you have to be true to the language. It is Allah who speaks, He speaks in the clearest fashion. Allah Himself says, بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍ مُبِينٍ It is in clear or, and clarifying Arabic speech. This is the nature of the Qur'an. So if Allah says something, you can't say, well, he said this, but he, what he really meant was this. So you can't, that would be a departure from being true to the language of the Qur'an. So you have to walk this really fine line down the middle, right? But there are some things that we have to keep as, as golden standards that we cannot cross. And one of them is that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is free of sin. That he does not disobey Allah and that he does not commit sin. So whenever we study something, that golden standard cannot waver. 
We cannot look back and say, no, but some have even said in the past, oh, he only committed minor sins, etc., etc. But no, this is, I mean, pretty much ijma' in our aqidah that he does not commit sin. That Allah Azza wa Jal has purified his heart, that he has made his heart firm, and that he is the golden standard of, of a human character, so he is free of sin. Allah Azza wa Jal has protected him. Nonetheless, now with all of that in mind, inshallah ta'ala, we begin a study of this surah and understand the, the hikmah, the wisdom, some of the wisdom, some droplets of wisdom of this particular address. Abasa wa tawalla, commonly translated, the introduction of this surah, he frowned and turned away. That's how it's commonly translated, that he frowned and he turned away. Now to understand the context, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was speaking to some of the leaders of Quraysh. In some narrations we find their names also. That, that happened to be Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, who's one of the most obnoxious kuffar, Abu Jahl. Right? Some of these people were in this disc- discourse and he was talking to obviously the big guns of Makkah. Okay? And they're actually talking to him. Most of the time we find like in the previous surah, they're casually poking fun at him or they're being sarcastic about the Akhirah as we found other comments in Surah Naba also and Nazi'at also. But this time it appeared that they were actually engaged in some sort of conversation. So it seems like he's getting somewhere with them. On the other hand, you have Abdullah ibn, uh, ibn Umm Maktoum, who is a cousin of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this is why he's close to the Prophet because he's connected, he's family. And he's, we know that he was blind radiallahu anhu and he's one of the earliest to believe radiallahu anhu. By the way, this surah is not also about insulting him. Because he is a, one of the earliest companions and one of the earliest acceptors of Islam and these are from As-Sabiqun, As-Sabiqun, the first of the first, right? So we have to maintain that honor also. On the other hand, he was blind and when you're blind, you know this, uh, and some of the scholars comment on this, that you overcompensate for others to acknowledge your presence because you don't know if they see you or not by raising your voice, right? This is you, and it's natural, they don't see themselves as being loud, it just comes because one of those senses is taken away, the other becomes you know, excited. So he comes to the Messenger وسلم, and he says according to one narration, Teach me from what Allah taught you. And he said this over and over. Because he didn't hear the Messenger's response immediately, وسلم, he assumed maybe the Prophet didn't hear him. Now the Prophet وسلم, right now is engaged in this conversation which seems like a rare occasion. It doesn't really happen often that he gets the ear of some of these big leaders all at one time and they're actually listening, right? So there are a few strategic problems here. One problem is one of the complaints that has always been the case of the leaders of kufr, the leaders of disbelief, not just with our messenger وسلم, also in previous messengers times, is that why should we accept this man when the low lives these, the scum of society, these peasants, they hang around him and this is one of the reasons they would say that we can't associate ourselves with you because you hang out with the lower class. You know, these poor, these weak, these powerless, the oppressed, they seem to be the ones lining up with you. We can't be seen associated, associating with them because it takes away from our elite status. So you want to talk to us, talk to us separately. Right? We're not going to come to you, you're going to have to come to us, right? So this seems like that situation where the Messenger is actually gone to them, right? Da'wah is to invite someone to you. Literally, it means invitation. But tabligh is to get the message out. And this part of the Messenger's work was what? Tabligh. He's going out to them. He's going out to them. Now, in this scenario, one of the problems is they'll so much as see Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, and that's enough. They'll invalidate the da'wah. They'll walk away. We don't want to be seen in the presence of this guy. Another issue here is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is finally getting somewhere. If he turns to this Sahabi right now and addresses his concerns, which can wait, 
It's not like he's going anywhere. He will be back. And he's, he's a true believer. He's a devout follower. So his response can wait. What cannot wait is this golden opportunity for getting the message to these people who are finally listening. So if you look at it from the messenger's point of view, وسلم, there's nothing wrong in what he does. There's nothing wrong in what he does. The other thing to note here is we know that oh, Ibn Maktoum is blind. So when the messenger frowns, وسلم, you know when you frown at somebody? Then uh, you can only get offended if what? You see it. You see it. So the, 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 the idea of being rude or being upset or being disturbed at someone is something visual. So we notice from the narration even, Allah didn't even mention his name. He mentioned that he's blind. In another indication of the innocence of the Messenger of Allah and his character, that he didn't say, you know how in, in, in regards to our parents, Allah tells, says, فَلَا تَقُلَّهُمَا أُفْ Right? Don't even say uff to them. Don't even let them hear some frustration. We don't hear the Messenger of Allah expressing any fr frustration verbally. Rather, we learn about him expressing frustration on his face. And we'll learn more about the nature of the word abasa in a moment, inshallah. And he turns away slightly. Now, when he turns away, you know, trying to finish off the conversation he's having with the Quraysh or with, with some of the leaders of the Kuffar, can the Sahabi notice him turning away? No, he can't notice that either. So first of all, understand he did not offend a believer. He did not offend a believer at all. So then if this is no, there's no problem, why are these ayat coming down? This is absolutely critical to understand. You see, you and I have a standard Allah has set for us for the Muslim. Then there's a higher standard for the mu'min. Then there's a higher standard for who? The muhsin, right? There's a higher standard. And then none of these can compare to the standard Allah has for a messenger of Allah. And of them, you can never compare your standards with the standards of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah Azza wa Jal is very, very, very sensitive to every intricate mannerism, every smallest, minutest gesture of our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so much as looks at the sky. He looks at the sky and Allah notices and then ayah comes down, We saw your face turning to the sky in aspiration, in missing the Kaaba. The ayat came down, right? So there's a very intricate relationship between Allah Azza wa Jal and the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Keep this standard in mind. And just to give you some idea of that elevated status, that standard. For us, there are the five prayers. For us, there are the five prayers. When Allah speaks to His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, He mandates him for Qiyam al-Layl. قُمِ اللَّيْلَ إِلَّا قَلِيلَ نِصْفَهُوَ وَنْقُسْ مِنْهُ قَلِيلَ Stand in the night. It's fi'il amr. It's a command. He commands His Messenger to Qiyam al-Layl half the night. Half the night at a minimal, right? Or even some more sometimes when you have the opportunity. And recite the Qur'an in a slow rhythmic tone. Is this a standard for us? No. It's not mandated upon us, but it's mandated upon him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? Similarly, the work of da'wah, we could say, yes, it's something important, we should do it. We should do it whenever we have an opportunity. The Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when does he have to do the work of da'wah? All the time. He has no break. He can't stop. He's constantly to go and deliver the message of Allah So there's really no comparison. Now keeping that in mind, keeping that in mind, understand that the messengers, take the messenger Musa السلام, for example, Allah commanded him. Allah commanded him to, to come and meet him at, you know, in the valley and he came early out of zeal. They're so excited about the mission that Allah has given them, they want to make progress in it quickly. Similarly, when the messenger of Allah السلام, was given Qur'an, he was in such zeal to receive that revelation, he would try to memorize it quickly. This was from the zeal of the Messenger So Allah had to reveal an ayah calming him down. لا تحرك به لسانك Don't rush your tongue to acquire the Qur'an quickly. Relax. 
We have taken ourselves to compile the Quran for you. Right? So Allah took that responsibility, telling the messenger it is not your problem. But see, the messengers are so concerned, they have such a huge responsibility upon them. And most of all, the messenger of Allah, who you have to understand, he's not just giving da'wah to the Quraysh, he's not just giving da'wah to the Meccans. What this man does in his few years of worldly life, he understands has implications for all of humanity to come because there are no more messengers coming. So everything he does, he's got the, literally the weight of the world on his shoulders. You have to understand this, right? He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And so he understands that giving the, when these leaders, if even any one of them has an inkling of Islam, how much strength Islam will gain. How much of a, of a good that will come, that Islam will bring. So he's constantly concerned about taking the mission to the next step, making sure that it reaches certain milestones. And in this, this was a golden opportunity. This is the reason for which he turned. And some of the ulama even comment, it is more important to teach someone who is interested about Islam, a non-Muslim who, is, who seems to be interested in Islam because only Allah knows the hearts. It's more important for one to teach him than to teach a Muslim because the Muslim can wait. That if, so if da'wah is being done, for example, the non-Muslim walks into the masjid asking some questions about Islam to the imam. And some Muslim has some questions about Islam also. Or, you know, they're asking about some personal issue about wudu or salah or something else. Or they're going to hajj this year. Can the Muslim wait in this matter? Yes. Because the non-Muslim may never come back. He may go. And if he takes shahada, what a blessing that will be for the entire community and perhaps for so many more people that will come to Islam through him. So the, 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 the good that comes out of da'wah to a non-Muslim is far superior to simply ask, answering a question to a Muslim, even though there's good in both of them. But you understand that there's a higher priority. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Abasa. One of the beauties of this, you know, Allah reprimands the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is in itself an indication that this is not the word of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Why would he reprimand himself? Why would he criticize himself? And why would he be so nervous about the ayat, these ayat? You know, he's in these ayat, apparently he's upset at who? Or he's frustrated with who? With Ibn Maktoum, right? Abdullah ibn Ibn Maktoum. Now, if, if that's the case, then why is it that whenever he saw this Sahabi radiallahu anhu, he used to say, Ahlan biman atabani fihi rabbi. You know, welcome to the one who Allah called me out on. <laughs> My Lord called me out on you, you be welcome. And he would make sure he has a seat, he would take special care of him. And this was not out of sarcasm. This wasn't even out of sarcasm. The Sahaba note, they comment that he used to have special regard, special honor for Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. If he had actually upset him, and the Qur'an is his own word, he should be upset with him for a long time after. But see, so in and of itself, it's an indication that Qur'an is not the word of Muhammad wasallam. Rather, it is revealed to him. A few beautiful things about the word Abasa, though, before we go further, inshallah. In the Arabic language, there are different words for frowning. And so I said in the beginning even, you know, uh, Abasa is translated as he frowned. He frowned. But you know, in the Arabic language, you have Abasa, then you have Kalaha, like Kalihun is used in the Quran. Kalh is when you have so much upset or the, the gesture on your face of being disturbed or perturbed is so much that you can almost see your teeth grinding. That's when Kalh is used. And then on the, uh, a step above that is Basar, right? Thumma Nadra wa Basar. This basar is when you see the teeth grinding, the face is bulging, and it's actually turning into an ugly face. Your, your face is becoming ugly due to disturbance or due to you know, dissonance, some kind of friction that you notice. Okay? 
So this is a higher state. And then finally, there's basal, which I don't believe it's used in the Quran. But the kind of perturbed expression that lasts only between your eyes, over here in the middle of your forehead, there's some bulge. And none of your face and none even of your breath in your breath or in your voice, is there any indication of being accept, upset except this bulging of the forehead? That's called abus, abus. Okay, abus actually, the mustar. Okay, so what we learn from that is of the words that you can use for frustration, when the Messenger وسلم, directed his frustration at a blind companion, he, you know, he used or he expressed the minimal level of frustration humanly possible. And even that Allah noticed and Allah Azza wa recorded. Abasa wa Okay. Now, again, we need to understand the wisdom. First of all, we know why he's concerned because this, the mission is his top priority, and this seems to be an obstacle in that mission. There's another reason Allah Azza wa comments on this abad, this this ubus of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He comments on it because the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he's a role model in many, many, many things. He's a role model as a father. He's a role model as a neighbor. He's a role model as a judge between people. He's a role model in many capacities. One of those capacities is a leader. He is a leader of those who believe in him at that time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's their leader. Now, you know, in a good group, in a group that is cohesive and united, the people are aligned with that leader. They love that leader. And they love that leader because that leader shows love to them. They show, he shows love to them. If the leader makes the followers seem, feel unimportant, if he makes them so much as feel unimportant, the cohesion of that group starts falling apart. We find the companions of the Messenger each of them convinced that the Messenger loves them the most. Each of them convinced that the Messenger loves them the most. This is the sign of true leadership. Compare that leadership to the kind of leadership we have Nowadays, each of us is convinced that our leader hates us the most, right? So it's the other way around, subhanAllah. But the other, you know, this is the case of the leadership of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa It is possible that another one of the fuqara as-sahaba, another one of the du'afa, the, the weak, or the poor, or the helpless, or the oppressed of the sahaba, might see this from a distance, not knowing the full situation. They might look at it maybe from a hundred yards away. What would they see? They would see the messenger paying attention, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to the elite and undermining the importance of one of their own. So this would undermine his status as a leader. So Allah azza wa jalla lets the companions know how important they are by addressing his messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, saying abasa. This is very very powerful. That Allah azza wa jalla comes to the aid of the companions, and this happens over and over and over again in the Quran. Allah says, "Wala ta'adu'aynaka anhum." Don't turn your eyes away from them. Some of the toughest ayat in the Quran are in defense of the, the companions. In another, another place in Surah Al-Imran, Allah Azza wa Jal tells us with the Messenger of Allah Wasallam, It is only by Allah's mercy that you're lenient towards them. Allah counts His mercy upon the Messenger Wasallam, a favor on the Messenger. And what is that favor? Not the revelation. Not the revelation of the Quran, not Isra and Mi'raj, not Fath Makkah, not Inna Atlinak al Kawthar. In this ayah, what is the favor of Allah? That you, are, you have been charged with leniency, with going easy on the companions. Subhanallah. And walau kunta fadlan ghalid al qalblan fadlu min hawlik. If you were tough, hard hearted, they would have run away from you. Allah speaks to the defense of the Sahaba in this ayah and then commands his Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
فَعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ Forgive them lovingly, ask Allah to forgive them, and when you make a decision, take their consultation. Right? SubhanAllah. Think about this. Does the messenger need consultation? The messenger receives answers of any question from what? From revelation, from wahi. Why does he have to ask consultation? This is again making the sahaba feel included. Even though in the end the decision doesn't lie in consensus. The decision lies with who? With the messenger of Allah. So Allah says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ He doesn't say, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتُمْ He says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ When you've reached decision, then put your trust in Allah. He didn't say, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتُمْ فَتَوَكَّلُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ But he says, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Singular. Singular. Even though you should consult them, that consultation is to make them feel included. In the end, the decision still lies with you. But you need to make them feel included and part of the process. This is part of the work of the Messenger And specifically with those who have disappointed him. Because Allah says all of this after he says, forgive them, ask Allah to forgive them. You forgive someone who's made a mistake, right? So these are the followers who've disappointed the leader and still he's supposed to ask their opinion. This is, this is leadership. This is the highest caliber of leadership. You can't expect this kind of leadership from a normal human being. We don't even show this kind of leadership to our children. A teacher can't show this kind of leadership in the classroom. This takes a lot of hilm, a lot of forbearance, a lot of patience, a lot of you know, this, this, this uh, tough you know, uh, character that can take in the problems but not let them out on, even on their face. You know, how many, how many problems is the Messenger وسلم, facing every day? And imagine, just don't look at the ayah, look at his life, look at how hard his time, how hard the Meccan times are. And now he's got an opportunity to make da'wah, and here's this, you know, the sahabi. And by the way, from, we learned that he actually said, Ya Muhammad, multiple times. Ya Muhammad, allimni mimma allamak Allah. Ya Muhammad, allimni mimma allamak Allah. Muhammad, teach me what Allah taught you. Muhammad, teach me what Allah taught you. So he was calling him by name, sallallahu alayhi wa You know something in the Quran, we don't find Ya Muhammad. In the Quran, we only find Ya Ayyuhal Nabi, Ya Ayyuhal Rasul, Ya Ayyuhal Muzzammil, Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir, Muhammadun Rasulullah, wa ma Muhammadun illa Rasul. Right? Ma kana Muhammadun aba ahadim min rijalikum, walakin Rasulullah. We find the name, we find Rasulullah. So even that one case, when it's only Muhammad without mention of Rasul, is in the case of Surah Muhammad itself where his name is highlighted, subhanAllah. Other than that, we find an elevated status. So we find even in the language of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, there was a kind of casual thing, and perhaps because he was close in family, and perhaps also because this is early Meccan Sirah, and the Sahaba haven't totally been cultured yet. This is still new to them. Islam is still new to them. Anyhow, so the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi turned towards, uh, you know, turned away from Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. And this is, by the way, anybody else in that situation would turn to the person and say, listen, I'm a little busy right now, just give me two minutes. We do this to people all the time. People call you and say, look, I have, I'm on an important call, I'll call you back, right? The Messenger of Allah doesn't even say that much because he's, he's that cautious of the Sahabi's feelings. All he does is show some bulges on his forehead and the ayat are revealed. And Allah Azza wa is so merciful to his Messenger وسلم, that he doesn't say, عَبَسْتَ وَتَوَلَّيْتَ You frowned and you turned away. He said he frowned and he turned away. He's, the third person is used. And then anja'ahul a'ma because the, the blind came to him. And we'll talk about that ayah in a second. But just understand the use of the third person here. In the Arabic language, when you reprimand someone in the third person, you're going easy on them. And when you reprimand someone in the second person, you're being hard on them. 
So even in the language, we understand that Allah is showing the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam mercy. He's going easy on him. Okay, you know this is imagine just to give you some uh, a real life kind of example. Imagine you're in a classroom full of children, right? And there's this one child that you want to. Uh, you know, you want to reprimand, you want to discipline. You're going to send him to the principal's office or he's going to get sent home that day. He's done something really bad or something, right? You say, you know, a student didn't do, didn't do something very good today. A student didn't do something very good today. Even if he knows it's him, he doesn't feel as bad. If you turn to him and say, Abdullah, you messed up pretty bad today. He'll feel far worse. The third person is a lot easier on the one being critiqued than the second person, addressing them directly. So when Allah spoke of the criticism, when Allah spoke of the criticism, subhanahu wa ta'ala, He used the third person, abasa wa tawalla. He frowned and he turned away. And here is an mastariya. What it does is, it, 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 the next sentence becomes mafrul li ajlihi, or mafrul illa, it's called mafrul lahu also. The reason, why did he turn away? As a result that anja'ahu al-a'ma. And Allah did not say atahu al-a'ma. Ata and ja'a come almost similarly in the Qur'an to come and to come, to arrive, to arrive, right? But ja'a means to come, it's, it's a stronger word, which actually illustrates that he came, you know, with a lot of enthusiasm, and he came running, even that becomes clear, explicit later on. But ja'a is a stronger word than ata. So he came running, and he came with this enthusiasm, and he's a'ma, so he, of course he's blind, so he doesn't see what's coming. He doesn't see what's, what else is going on over there. He just walks right into that situation, al-a'ma. وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ And what will give you any clue? This, مَا يُدْرِيكَ is a very interesting phrase. It comes from da, uh, دَال, ra and ya, the root. And it's used in the Thulathi Mujarrad also like, uh, like Tadri or Yadri also, to know. But yudrika is actually what means do you have, what you know, tools do you have that you can manipulate to get some information. Like right now if we do idra, we do it over the internet. It's a tool we use to get information, right? So Allah is basically saying, you have no possible tools at your disposal whatsoever. He's telling the Messenger Notice the word you, by the way, here. He didn't say he, he said you. So the first two ayat were third person, and now there's iltifat littaqarrub or littaqrib. It, it, this transition to come closer to the Messenger And this ayah is commonly misunderstood. This, actually, this ayah is more of a defense of the Messenger from Allah than a criticism. Ma means you had no, no means at your disposal to try to find out if he's coming with good intent or not. Perhaps he may find the means to cleanse himself, to purify himself. Anyhow, so the first thing here is we note, Ma The Messenger of Allah has not been given the license to judge what is inside a person. He has no idea the one he's talking to has an inclination to cleanse themselves or not. As we will see as we progress in this surah, time and time and time again, this surah is connected and is completing the themes we already studied in Surah An-Nazi'at. In Surah An-Nazi'at, we found Musa salam making an offer to Fir'aun. Even Fir'aun. I mean, you, I mean, look at Fir'aun's track record. The guy kills babies. The guy is oppressing an entire nation, calling himself a god, etc., etc. And perhaps has multiple dialogues with Musa salam. Still, Musa salam is not judging what is inside of him and says, فَقُلْ هَلَّكَ إِلَىٰ أَن do you have any inclination inside of you left that you want to cleanse yourself? He's not passing judgment. So this same word tazakka, now in the third person occurs, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّ You have no means at your disposal to find out, perhaps he was going to cleanse himself. 
perhaps he already had an, in, an inclination inside of himself to become a better person. Really, in, in contemporary English, that's how we would say purification. To try to become a better person. To recognize that there is some filth, some dirt, some immoralities inside of you, and you want to get rid of them. And for that motive, he came to you, radiallahu anhu. Now, with this, la'allah, harf taraji, it means that this person, this, by the way, this is a, a prerequisite to seeking knowledge. Because in the next ayah, he gets a reminder, he learns something from the Messenger of Allah But Allah says first, he came to cleanse himself, to become a better person. So we learn from this deen, not just interesting information and dates and times and regions and, you know, and names and interesting facts, right? And which prophet was first and which was second and which was third and what chapter of what book is what quote in, etc., etc. This is all great information. But what's the bottom line? Why are we learning anything about the religion? To cleanse ourselves. This is why the Sahabi comes. And in hopes that he, perhaps he may reach this cleansing. The other thing I should note, note here, inshallah, it's a, it's, a, it's a minor balaghi point, but yazzakka, yazzakka, you notice the shad on the za. Originally, actually, the word is yatazakka. Yatazakka, okay, from tazakkiyun. This is the mustar of it. And what happens in Arabic sometimes is idgham, the two letters that are close to each other, they get fused. Now, in grammar, you would say yazzakka and yatazakka mean the same thing. That's what you would say grammatically. But in the Qur'an, even there's their subtlety. There's subtlety, there's a difference, actually. When something is partial or not full, then the fused me spelling yazzakka, yazzakkaru, okay? These kinds of words are used. When the context is complete, then the complete spelling structures are used. In other words, in one sitting or in one question, he's not going to attain complete purity. He's going to get something of purity. He's going to cleanse something of himself. Yet azakah would be more complete. Like in one sitting, one halaqa, one question answered, and this becomes a better person altogether. But yazakah is partial in meaning. At least some benefit this person would have gathered. Or he would have gotten some reminder for himself. He would have gotten some reminder for himself. And as a result, then if that would have happened, meaning if... This person came with the intent of cleansing himself and taking a beneficial reminder. As a result, that reminder would have benefited him. Now Allah doesn't say or He says الذكرى. الذكرى is considered an infinitive, a mustar. From ذَكَرَ يَذْكُرُ But the normal infinitive is ذِكْرٌ. It's not ذِكْرَ. And this alif maksura at the end, that gives it mubalagha. What's, what in Arabic we say, dhikr is remembrance, dhikra is powerful remembrance. Okay, so it's a, it's a powerful form of remembrance. What this illustrates is, whenever the Messenger وسلم, speaks to someone, that that in itself is not just a reminder, it is a powerful reminder. It's a powerful reminder. So even if you addressed him a little bit, it would have been a powerful reminder for him. Now when the Messenger addresses وسلم, especially in Makkah Quran, this is essentially the Quran itself. So al-dhikra, the powerful reminder that's being talked about here, is the Qur'an itself. And there, there is another word stronger than it that we'll see very, very soon, inshallah. But the idea here is that the Qur'an is meant to be a powerful reminder for the one who wants to get that reminder. So the first thing Allah does not mention, فَتَنْ dhikra, But He says, أَوْ That He Himself wanted to make an effort to remember, and as a result, this reminder would have been powerful for Him. It would have had some benefit for Him. Now on the other hand, as for the one who has istighna, manistagna, the one who is heedless, carefree, doesn't worry about anything. Istighna from, from ghani, you know, ghani is someone who's so rich who's not worried about the bills. He's not worried about money, he's not worried about the house, he's not worried about, you know, any, any expenses in life. 
you know, the people who live in complete luxury with no needs, no wants, they don't, they don't aspire to have anything, whatever they want is already at their disposal. You know, these people have ghina. These people have ghina. Allah Azza wa Jal, one of his names is Al-Ghani. Al-Ghani, because he's free of need. He doesn't need anything. So here, istighna, with the alif seen in time, the beginning, bab istif'al, what this means is, the person who thinks that they're free of need. The person who has an attitude that they don't need anything. They're apathetic about this information. And this is istighna, by the way, in this specific context, of course, the leaders of the Quraysh are being talked about. So the messenger, does he know that they don't care? No. He doesn't know that. He, because he can't know if they have good in them or not, or any good in them or not. Musa didn't know for Fir'aun until the last minute, right? So he's going to give them da'wah, but Allah passes his fatwa on them. And Allah exposes them. And calls them, Amma man istaghna. The one who feels free of need. The one who doesn't really care. The one who's reckless in their attitude. And this is the person who perhaps wants to talk to you about Islam, not because they're looking for guidance, but because they like having philosophical discussions. And they like discussing whether God exists or not. These are philosophy clubs at, MS, you know, at campuses that MSA kids get tangled up with, right? They just want to talk for the sake of talking. Just run their mouth. Not, nothing's going to come at the end of it. Even if you were to give them the best possible arguments, they say, yeah, that's very interesting. Very nice, very nice. We'll talk tomorrow. It's all good. That's it's that, this attitude of istighna. We don't need this. We're just doing this kind of, you know, to pass the time kind of thing. So on the one hand, you have the Sahabi, radiallahu anhu, the two reasons for which he came, there was, you know, la'allahu yazzakka, that he may purify himself, may, may become a better person, may cleanse the, you know, the immoralities or the flaws he has on the inside. On, on the other, that he may take benefit of the reminder. So, you know, these are the two powerful reasons to come in the company of the Messenger, None of these exist with these leaders. The first thing Allah tells us, amma man istaghna, as for the one who doesn't even care. He's just, he's free of need. He's very lax in his attitude. فَأَنْتَ لَهُ Then it is you who has tasadda. You know, you are the one who has, tasadda is also tatasadda, actually. Originally, there's a second tat there. Okay, let's explore this word a little bit so we understand what Allah is saying about the Messenger There are a few things here. The word itself and the sentence structure here is very powerful. So let's first look at the word itself. <coughs> it comes from sad, dal, and ya. Sadyun. Also sada. Sada means an echo that bounces off a wall and comes back and you hear it over and over and over again. Right? This is a sada. Tasadda is to be relentless on something to go back to something over and over again, just like the echo comes back to your ear, over and over again. So what the messenger is being told وسلم, is, you happen to go back to them over and over and over again, right? And meaning, they, they came to you, 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 they engaged in conversation, then this distraction came, but you went back over to them. So you did the sadda, you, you bounced back and echoed back towards them, echoing your concerns with them, you follow? So this is the word tasadda. But here, Allah didn't just say, fatasadda. He just said, he said, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّى أَنْتَ makes this a jumla ismiyah. And the benefit of knowing that is not just grammatical nuance, the benefit of knowing that is, it is you who turns back over and over to them, indicating they don't turn to you. The anta here, إِثْبَاتْ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ الْفَاعِلِ It tells us, other than the fa'il exists. So you're the one who keeps turning especially towards them, while they have what? istighna in the previous ayah. They don't care to turn towards you. They're very lax about this, and you're taking this very seriously. So it seems like, who has the upper hand? You know, it's, take the example of a salesman trying to sell something to someone who's not interested in the product. Who seems pathetic in this situation? It seems like the salesman is desperate, and the guy, the customer, can just walk away. Yeah, that guy was kind of, you know, 
seem this, giving them the upper hand. And this is very important to note because Allah Azza wa Jal does not want it to seem like the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam does not have the upper hand. He does not want it to seem that he's desperate to give this Islam to them. He doesn't need them, no, no, nor does Allah need them subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal stops him from looking desperate. He stops him from looking towards them the way they don't look towards him. So he says, فَأَنْتَ لَهُ تَصَدَّ وَمَا عَلَيْكَ And there will be no fallback on you. There will be no consequences falling upon you. Allah is very comprehensive preposition. It has multiple meanings here. There will be no fallback, no consequences coming against you if they don't accept Islam, if this person doesn't purify himself. That's one. The other here is, it is not your obligation. You are not responsible. That this person does not cleanse himself. Who has to make that decision? This person is responsible for himself. You will not be cleaning them up. You can only inform them. In the previous surah, in the previous surah, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرُ مَنْ يَخْشَاهَا You are only a warner to one who, the one who fears it. It seems as though this opening passage of the surah is a tafsir of that one ayah. In that previous surah, Allah has said, you are only a warner to the one who fears it, fears that akhirah. Right? And so you have, وَهُوَ يَخْشَى It is the one who fears, who came to the Messenger وسلم, and these people who don't fear. So now they're being put down. And here the other, here's the other amazing thing here, that Allah exposes these arrogant kuffar who may have been just pulling the leg of the Messenger وسلم, may just tagging him along to keep him tied up in conversation, didn't really have any good intent of taking the da'wah in. Allah doesn't say, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا يَزَّكَّ In, in would have been harf ash-shart. What, it won't be any consequence of you, on you if this person doesn't purify himself. But Allah said that this person has not purified himself. In other words, he made it a statement of fact, not a statement of hypoth- hypothetical situation. Okay? So in other words, Allah t- lets the messenger know this person has no inclination of wanting to cleanse himself at all. This is the same dialogue that is now opening up that happened between Fir'aun and Musa in the previous surah. That same thing is opening up now here. What was Fir'aun's problem? You know, he turned away. He had istighna. He didn't, he didn't think he needed this message. He was self-sufficient. They're showing that same attitude again. So that wasn't just a story. It is being manifest in the situation of the messenger. So, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّ أَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى And as for the one who came to you, with such enthusiasm, jaa, more enthusiasm than ata, yasa, running, rushing. This word is very beautiful and powerful because it reminds us of something we read in the previous surah. In the previous surah, Allah Azza wa says about Fir'aun, He says, "Thumma adbara yasa, fahashara, fanada, faqala ana rabbukum al-a'la." You know, Fir'aun would turn in his, you can imagine in his quarters, in his private wing, when the da'wah of Musa is spreading, we talked about he's going back and forth, pacing. It's a pace faster than walking, but slower than running. He's pacing back and forth, right? Now that pacing was for, in out of arrogance. That was a pacing as a consequence of arrogance. Here there's another pacing. He's pacing, rushing towards you. And this is the pacing of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, radiallahu anhu. This is a pacing out of humility. Out of fear of Allah. So on the other hand, there was no fear of Allah. Here there's fear of Allah. They're both pacing in opposite directions. Subhanallah. So here, وَأَمَّا مَنْ جَاءَكَ يَسْعَى وَهُوَ يَخْشَى And it is he, it is he who has khashya. He is the one who fears. Now Allah didn't just say, وَيَخْشَى And he fears. He said, وَهُوَ يَخْشَى It is he who fears. And when that happens, when this lamir, this pronoun is mentioned like this, what that illustrates is, Allah is telling us there's someone else who doesn't have khashya. 
It is he who has khashia, not the audience you're talking to. Forget them. There's no good coming to them. This is why again in the previous surah I remind you, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرُ مَنْ يَخْشَاهَ You are only to warn who? The one who has fear. So Allah says, by, by the language, by the sentence structure, He indicates the, the leaders of Quraysh had no fear. Similarly, when Fir'aun was being given da'wah by Musa in the previous surah, what did he say to him? وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَتَخْشَى I'll guide you to your Lord so that, that perhaps you'll get khashya. You'll become a person of fear of something larger than yourself. Now Allah's Messenger is told, فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ And it is you who is turning away from him. And the word turning away here needs more, more uh, elaborate explanation. Talaha comes from lahu. Lam, ha, and wow. Which is in easy English com- uh, translated as entertainment. Lahwan aw tijaratan, like in Surah Al-Jum'ah, right? But lahu actually means, or originally it means to be engaged in something that keeps you away from a more important task. So it's a relative term. When you're busy with something that took up your time and that time should have been used for something more important, that is lahu. So Allah says, in his case, you are engaged in talaha, meaning you are engaged in an activity which is not as important as he is. This is the case of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, radiallahu anhu. That this, Allah is telling him, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu these leaders of Quraysh, Allah has looked inside their hearts, there's no khashiyah in them, they have istighna in their hearts, they have no, no indication, Allah yazzakka, they have no indication or inclination of cleansing themselves, purifying themselves, don't waste your time with them, there's a far more important thing you need to do. If they had any hope, this would have been a more important case. We said originally in the earlier part of the session, we said if you're giving da'wah to a non-Muslim, and if there's hope, then it's a more better use of your time. But since Allah has already looked on the inside and exposed what is inside to the Messenger, there's no need to waste the time. فَأَنْتَ عَنْهُ تَلَهَا كَلَّا No, 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 not at all. And kalla here is two things. Some consider this a zajra, a scolding. Meaning Allah is scolding the kuffar here. No, not you, get lost. He doesn't have to waste time with you. Kalla. Or he's telling the Messenger no, no more. Don't waste your time with them anymore. Don't turn away from this Sahabi for them. They're not worth turning to. They're not worth turning to. Kalla. Another meaning of Kalla in, in classical Arabic is Haqqan. No doubt about it. That also is in the meaning of Kalla. Innaha tadhkira. The Bamir Ha here refers to Dhikra, which from the previous ayah that is feminine. That that reminder actually happens to be an incredibly powerful means of delivering reminder. Now look at this sentence. The reminder is an amazing reminder. That reminder isn't just a reminder, it's a truly amazing reminder. What this means is that Dhikra, that dhikra was some reminder the Messenger was going to give to the Sahabi Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiallahu anhu. That's Dhikra. It's still a powerful word. But a much more powerful word is from Baba Taf'il, Tadhkir. Tadhkir, and a powerful version, a, a hyperbolized version of the word tadhkir is tadhkirah. That's the most powerful version. So Allah is saying that Quran isn't, not, isn't just that it's a powerful reminder, it is an incredibly powerful reminder. So much so there is no reminder more powerful than it. إِنَّهَا فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَهُ Now notice, the ha was feminine, referring back to the reminder, dhikra. But in the next ayah we say, فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَهُ then whoever wants, he may make mention, he may take some remembrance from it. That who is masculine. It's not ha anymore, it is who. That's referring to the entire Qur'an. There's a reference to that reminder first. It's a powerful reminder. Then Allah alludes to it and calls it the entire Qur'an, connecting the two things together. Telling us, teaching us two things in between the lines. That the Qur'an is the most powerful means of delivering a reminder. 
We find this fused together in another ayah in the Quran. وَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ Remind with the Quran, the one who fears my promise. Right? So this is, this is, the two things have been put together. The most powerful reminder is the Quran. كَلَّا إِنَّهَا تَذْكِرَةٌ فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَةٌ Whoever wants, they can make mention of it. You don't have to worry about who wants and who doesn't want. You deliver the message, you just warn them, and they will, they will be responsible whether they wanted to take it or not. Inshallah ta'ala, one more ayah and we, we uh, take a break for the salah. فِي صُحُفٍ مُكَرَّمَةٍ This reminder is in suhuf. Suhuf literally means scriptures. Lots of words are related to the word suhuf. It comes from sahifa, which is literally something spread out like paper that you're supposed to write on. In ancient language, it's also used for scrolls. So Allah speaks of the Qur'an in its original lahul mahfuz, right? It's there. It's something so high. And these people are so low. So if they're not accepting it, you shouldn't be desperate to give it to them. This is far too high for them to show arrogance to. Fi suhufin mukarrama. It is from the most noble, most honored of the scrolls. So this is not something pathetic that you're, you're desperate for them to accept it, subhanAllah. So Allah shows the, the he exalts the status of the ayat of the Qur'an, of the Qur'an itself, of the da'wah of Islam, far above showing desperation to the arrogant kuffar, that we beg or we, we, we plead to them that they should take this Islam. That, that attitude of dhillah, that attitude of powerlessness when you give da'wah, that should only be exacted towards the Muslims. Adhillatin ala al-mu'mini. Right? Allah says. They're powerless when, they, when they're dealing with who? The believers. But we don't have dhillah when we deal with the kafirin. We don't have that. We don't show our powerlessness in our, in our da'wah. It's, it has integrity. It stands for itself. We'll take a break here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.